Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're not like a comedy band. It's not like Flight of the Concords, you know, which is phenomenal. But we're not so, you know, uptight that that everything needs to be super serious all the time. Though we do take the funny stuff seriously. But a lot of the stuff is just kind of being open to how we all are as people. And we're kind of funny, lighthearted people when we're having fun. And that's what we're doing in this job, playing music together. We're having fun. And when you're having fun, you can be a little bit silly sometimes. Otherwise, it just becomes work and it becomes really stressful. Grab your earplugs for another episode of Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Brian and Jake from the band Kindle Street Company. We discuss how they balance humor and passion in their music. Plus we talk about why they're not afraid to attract different audiences to their live performances. Jake, how do you pronounce your last name? I want to get it right, man. Vanneman, Jake Vanneman. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Brian, I've got your last name figured out. I'm not too worried about it. Well, there are two pronunciations. Oh, what are they? Well, if, you're, if you've been, if your family's been living in the United States for as long as mine has, it's Roy. But moi would be the French Canadian's pronunciation. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're just going to, we're going to keep this in. We're just going to keep rolling. All right. So, <laughs> all Brian, right. you've already introduced yourselves. Jake, tell me, how are you doing, man? You doing all right? Hey, hey, what's up? Yeah, this is Jake, Jake Vanneman talking. I play Saxon Keys in Kendall Street Company. Thanks for having us on today. For sure, man. And Brian, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Brian, Brian Roy or Brian Wah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I call it Roy, right? And I play bass to backup vocals, a little bit of lead, mostly backup vocals. Well, mostly bass, I guess. But yeah, that's what I do. Awesome. Well, guys, I'm pumped to talk to you, but as is tradition on the show, we like to start with some icebreakers just to have a little fun. So my first question is an incredibly stupid one, and I kind of hate myself for asking it, but we're going to do it because we're having fun today. So I love this already. I, I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, so if the Kendall Street Company was actually a company, what would your product or service be? Oh, Ooh, that, yeah, that's interesting. You can say we, that's also acceptable. We've considered, we've considered doing like a clothing brand. Like you for should, real, absolutely. well, not not for real. I should say, but like we thought that the like the sailboat icon would look pretty slick on on, on t shirts and whatnot. What did you say, Brian? I, I mean, I like the clothing one. I mean, you could make it real small, like a label thing, high ends, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like Lacoste. Which I don't know if that's high end or fake high end. I don't own anything from that company. <laughs> I was thinking of their logo, but but yeah, I mean, I, I like clothing. I mean, if we could go really literal, if it's Kendall Street Company, like maybe we do something involving streets. So that traffic cones, yeah. traffic cones, traffic cones. Like street yeah, yeah. Cleaning, waste disposal, waste management. There's a lot of money in waste management. It's not only that- for the mob these days. Anybody can get into waste management, I hear. So, well, I mean, I love it. That's that's better than I expected. So my next question for you guys is. You seem like when I was looking at your tour schedule, it seems like you play a fair amount of like after parties, after shows for different bands and things like that. So I want to know who do you want to play your after after party? Who would you guys pick? The after after party? Like, so yes. We, so that so there's a show and we're playing an after party. And then so there's fish, another after. 
after yes. party. Yes. So Fish played at Madison Square Garden. You're playing the after party. Who's playing your after party? Uh, well, we just had a couple guys from Dogs in a Pile sit in with us at this other after party, actually, a few days ago for the Jam Packed Festival. And uh, they were really fun to play with and guys to hang out with and stuff. But their band is super awesome. And I think that would, I, I would love to go, go see them play a show that kicks off at two in the morning. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say Jack Black. Jack Black would be good. That's a fair one. After party. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was kind of hoping you would say fish. And so it would just be like a full circle thing. Like it would just be a nonstop oh. party. Like oh, it just like circular. A fish sandwich? I yes. don't really like seafood. So I don't know about the fish sandwich. I mean, the band is amazing, but. <laughs> exactly. So I love it. All right. So last one, and we'll jump into the conversation. You guys do a lot of covers, or not a lot, but you sprinkle in covers decently through your shows. Have you ever had a cover that just didn't land with the audience? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some that we've tried to learn and then realized it didn't really fit us or suit us. Uh, we've also had some really strange requests for covers before, as you'll always. I, no matter how much you grow, there'll always be somebody that comes up at a show and asks if you know something or other. But uh, the one that always sticks with me is uh, way back when, years ago, when we were doing a lot of fraternity parties, college stuff, we had a nice young lady come up to us and ask if we knew any Les Mis. Mm. And, you know, Les Mis is phenomenal, but I don't know how that would be, you know, a five-piece rock band with a saxophone. <laughs> uh Oh, uh, but nothing I, I says frat party like some lay Miz, man. Nothing says frat oh, yeah. party like that. I do love lay Miz. It was one thirty or two in the morning. Like it was, it was the strangest request. I mean, it's not strange because it's great stuff, but it's just you know how your brain goes. Oh, this band—they'd be great at doing lay Miz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I when, think you need to do we a whole tour? tribute set tour. I think I think she earned a tribute set at this point where you cover lay Miz. Like I think it's necessary now. Yeah, do it for yeah I joke all the time about us doing a, this cover set or that cover set, you know, something that would just be outrageous. We do do outrageous covers, but usually the the more out there ones that we cover, because we try to do ones that we can either make our own in a way or be more just like kind of shocking or fun. Like we've uh, been doing like Alanis Morissette, for example, not that it's shocking music, but coming from us is a little bit crazy. And those usually actually hit really well. And nothing ever hits super poorly. Sometimes we play it a couple of times. We're like, that's enough for that one, you know, and then mm-hmm. move on to the next. Nice. Jake? I was going to say, we well, I have two points. One is about Les Mis first. And that's that when we were coming back from Texas last fall, I was really going through a Les Mis kick. I was, I was feeling it. And I was listening to it like nonstop. So when it was my driving shift, I would just put on the whole musical and we would, we would listen to the whole musical. Jake, I don't think you I realize how beautiful the, that is, man. I don't think you realize while how I drove through the beautiful. desert. I love it. Yeah, it was so much fun. And I was like, I know the words. Like, I was singing. <laughs> it's Sometimes I like to add my own harmonies. It, it's great, but I'm more of a Sondheim guy, so I got him to start playing Into the Woods, too. So we were, we were mixing it up in there. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do listen to the Into the Woods prologue quite a lot. Yeah, you can't listen to too much called. of the same same stuff over and over again. It always starts to feel stale, no matter how amazing that it is. So it's always mm. good to be kind of moving moving around with what you're listening to. Mm. What was your other point? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if we. I was. We covered. Have you seen the Barbie movie, Lance? I I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. It's on my. I want to though. It's All great. right. 
I don't want to like ruin the surprise for you. I guess it's not so much of a surprise, but we we covered a a very prominent song from that movie at the after party in Richmond on Saturday, and it just like it nailed. It was nice. so perfect. Like culturally relevant covers that we do very sh- for a short while are so much fun. Like just like tease the crowd, like we're all hip. Yeah. Well, that's one of the you are say so that. yeah yeah. Well, that you say that, but I mean, it's so because I was thinking about I was seeing Moon Taxi one time, and it was right at the peak of like Lil Nas X, and they started play, they played Old Town Road, and I have never seen a crowd like lose their mind for a cover song like that time. I mean, it was just wild. like people had their back to the stage and they turned around fully. Eng- I mean, it was amazing. So there's something to be said there. But we've actually covered Lil Nas X too. What what was the song, Brian? That's what I want. Was the song we yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. We we had <laughs> yeah. someone had requested that we learned it and offered to tip us for it, and we were like, "All right, let's let's give it a try." And so then the day, you know, we we worked it up, and then the day came of the show, and we played it, and it was really funny and everything. It was it was sort of private thing, and then we have played it a couple times at public shows too, because you spend that time on it, and you're like, "Oh, you know, let's let's put it out there," and it, and it usually goes over pretty well. Yeah. Well, I do want to talk about that because, I mean, that's a good sig into the conversation because when I listen to you guys, there's so much humor in the shows. It, it is such an, like, humor, like, to me is such a strange thing in music because it, it it is the balance of, like, not taking yourself seriously, but you take the music seriously. Like, when you listen to Ween, it's, like, it's hard to differentiate. Do these guys actually take the music serious? Like, are they so sarcastic that they don't view the music seriously? Or is it that they... Mm. what's that intersection for you guys like how do you i mean because there is so much humor in your music so how do you balance that as performers and music people that are passionate about music i I actually love that you bring up ween because we've gotten a lot of comparisons to them and i wouldn't say that they're a huge huge influence on any of uh, the members of the bands individually or as a group but we've seen them a few times you know and and that does fit well into sort of what we're doing which is and it's kind of just naturally come to us, but it's that we're not like a comedy band. It's not like Flight of the Concords, you know, which is phenomenal, but but is just a different sort of thing or Weird Al or or whatever, like a parody act. But we're not so, you know, uptight that that everything needs to be super serious all the time, though we do take the funny stuff seriously. Uh, but a lot of the stuff is just kind of being open to how we all are as people. And we're kind of funny, lighthearted people when we're having fun. And that's what we're doing in this job, playing music together. We're having fun. And when you're having fun, you can be a little bit silly sometimes. Otherwise, it just becomes work and it becomes really stressful. And uh, so it's fun to just be out there and performing. And so sometimes we have shows that are a little bit funnier than other shows because we're not going on the stage going, we got to make them laugh tonight. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not ever the goal. The goal is to play really great music together as a band. And hopefully people love that out there too, right? But then we get on stage and just a little bit of silliness and fun comes out when we're having a good time. And sometimes that enters the songwriting process. You know, we have, uh, you know, a range of songs from stuff that's very, you know, internal or sad or, you know, dare I say the horrible word that <laughs> deep. We're so mm. deep. Oh, my God. And <laughs> the street company, the deepest. Deep. Band, <laughs> deep. Hashtag deep. But, you know, but then there's all sorts of stuff, you know, we like to gravitate stored towards stuff in real life. We have a, a lot of songs about food or about animals because those are just things that we relate with. And 
you know, they can be adult things too. They're not just fun or funny for, for children. And then of course, a lot of our songs are adult themes, not all the way to the point of ween, but mm-hmm. where they can be, you know, quite vulgar, honestly, to, to great effect. I mean, so could Frank Zappa, who's a huge influence on, on our entire band as well. So, but it's just really mostly about having fun. And then that kind of stuff comes out. And then sometimes you develop little bits over time. We don't really rehearse them in the practice room. It's just, Lewis or myself or any one of us comes at Lewis is the front man of the band. Any of us will kind of start doing something on stage and it fits the, you know, section of the show that we're doing or the song that we're doing. And the bit kind of develops and changes show to show. It's always a little bit improvisational. Mm-hmm. Jake, you want anything? I just think like a lot of the humor is ironic. And a lot of it like comes from the, the lyrics and the delivery of said lyrics, you know, like the music, like, at its core, like Brian going from like five to one on the bass or whatever, like isn't inherently funny necessarily, although it can provide like uh, punctuation to like lyrical yeah. funny bits, which is good. And we do a lot of like punctuation. Like there's a song called Shanti the Dolphin. Shanti's knocking at the door and then we all make like a knock sound on our instruments. Like we do a lot of that kind of stuff, which like lends itself to the theatrical, theatrical nature of, of the show. And like, it's not like necessarily exclusively a concert then it's like a performance like a theater event like we're on stage there's a lot of facial expressions that happen from us towards each other occasionally you'll get a dance in there but those those require a little bit of practice Um, (laughs) yeah the choreography (laughs) of dancing it can be a lot it's harder (laughs) to just kind of naturally show up Though we do do it's hard to dance with a saxophone, bro. It's hard. Sorry, Brian, you go. Oh, I was just going to say the musical stuff happens too. Like we have one song, it's called Stanley Bird Dog Mouth. He's an oyster. So one of our much more on like the deep, serious end of our catalog, obviously from that. See, that, that's a lie. That's a lie. See, (laughs) Brian, Brian just lies to the audience sometimes too. And that makes (laughs) me laugh. That makes me laugh. They can be pretty deadpan. I haven't bad. I, I have been asked to to stop a couple of times when like we're all very yes men. I mean that's a big thing in improv too, and and in improvisational music is like saying yes. It's like answer it with yes. Like they say that a lot in improv comedy, which none of us have a strong background in, other than that we all love like sketch shows and improv shows. But also musically, you know, being you know a jam band or at least jam adjacent a jam adjacent band, we're improvising the music a lot of the time on stage too and it's a lot of you know you have to say yes you can't have somebody introduce an idea and then you just totally reject it you have to go along with them they've changed the scene you go in that direction and so but there have been a couple of times where i've been on stage and like a song's coming up and maybe there's a second or two lewis has to change guitars or retune or something so i start telling a story about like what the song means which is like a total totally lie like not true story sometimes it is you know but but sometimes it's not and there have been a couple that i'm done that like somebody's been like yeah like that song kind of means a lot to me like that's not one of the ones you should (laughs) you should be doing that before like not that you should never do it you know so of course like i i respect that we all respect that about each other because kind of maybe changing the subject a little bit but all of us right uh all five of us bring music to the table sometimes people more than others and that can kind of change with the seasons and the years and the wind and the weather and everything as far as who's working on what and the level of i guess seriousness that we've been talking about or, or comedy or even just like the style or genre of music we, we like to try to kind of dive into a lot of different sounds and vibes we have stuff that 
orders on like punk or we've been talking about doing like a we're calling it the metal project like a heavier thing i don't know if it'll be full metal but heavier uh, well whereas we also release albums that are like kind of singer songwriter or you know very lyrically focused material well i mean there's a lot to unpack there that i'd like to get into but th- i, w- I want to go back to a thing you said about like saying making sure that you say yes to each other during improvisation how do you protect the jam in that kind of situation because i think about going to see fish yeah. and how many times trey has ripcorded a jam where i was just blissed out of my mind i was in the moment and trey <laughs> yeah. rips into twist and it's like trey dude Y'all had it. You didn't have to go out of the jam yet. How do y'all protect that when you're in the spirit of saying yes? Uh, I don't know if it's a, you know, uh, the idea of protection. It's kind of like if you think about a live performance as a band from a different thing, like we've been kind of talking about it in the vein of being of like showmanship or performance, but also like like live sports kind of. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like saying, like, how do you come back from allowing a goal in a soccer game? Well, you know, the mm-hmm. literal answer is score two goals because now you're ahead mm-hmm. two to one. Or score one goal and, you know, at least be happy with the draw or what have you. But, but it's also just that like, you know, you're, you're putting on a show and you're putting on a performance and you just kind of have to be in it. And not everything is going to land perfectly. Sometimes you have those shows. And I feel like we had one pretty recently in, in Richmond at the Broadway, this after party we were, we mentioned briefly earlier, where like it felt like all of us were really on and we were really responding well together and everything went like as close to perfectly as it'll ever go as far as a performance goes. And I'm really excited to go back and listen to that show. But there's, of course, there's plenty of shows where that's not the case. And usually people love them all the same. And sometimes we have different opinions about them too, because we can get in our own heads. I made one mistake, so that ruins the whole show for me. Like one bad mistake, I always make a mistake at a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's just, there's so much going on. You just kind of have to like forgive and forget when that sort of a thing happens. So, you know, every now and then, yeah, there is something that comes in that everybody after the show agrees that shouldn't have happened. That idea was a bad one. And I bet that happens with Fish, too. I bet Trey, you know, I bet half the time he goes back to like, I really shouldn't have gone into Twist. And the other half the time, somebody's like, you shouldn't have gone into Twist. And he was like, I disagree, you know, and then you just move on from it and learn from it and keep performing. Mm. Jake? Yeah, I mean, I think Brian summed it up there. Like, you know, having like notes, like you know, I'm not thinking about like, you don't do anything during the show. I guess to answer your question directly, like, what do you do to project the jam? You you can't and you don't. And you talk about it after. And then you go up there and you play again. And the same thing happens. Like, not the same mistake or whatever, but like you, you perform again and then you talk about it again. And then you perform again. And then you talk about it again. And we play different set lists. So like, a, we have like over 140 songs or something like non-covers that, yeah. that we could like, yeah, originals or the, like that we could theoretically play at any show. And then there's like the hot, more common list that we pull from um, routinely. So it's not like we're, it's not like we're playing the same set every night and having the same conversation about the show every night is kind of how I think about it. But like, you know, sometimes the jams will fail and like as musicians, we trust each other like and for it to not happen. And if it does happen, it's okay. And you can talk about it and you probably learn something about jamming. Yeah, um, it goes pretty far to say that if you don't, uh, the you know, that if you don't take risks, then it's going to be a boring show. There are plenty of bands that go out there and they rehearse for weeks at a time before they go on tour and then play the same set list every night, right? Uh, it's not what we do, but it's 
a method that works for certain types of performance. I mean, it works. That's what Broadway performances are, right? But also how we call the shows, which is we, we actually just write a one of the guys, usually it's Lewis or Ben, the lead guitarist will write a list of songs they want to play. It'll be ready before soundcheck so we can all look at it. We can make suggestions to stuff to change. And the list will be longer than the set. So we'll actually call from from that list. And uh, usually it'll be Ben on stage. He'll be calling it. But that's kind of the idea of the things we'll play. Because sometimes you call a song by not not calling it. You know, you you just start doing it, right? And from that, it lets you, if there is something that's wonky, sometimes everybody knows in the moment, like, ah, that was, we all missed that, you know, like you didn't miss it so bad that a lot of people would notice, but like it was getting really cool. And then we kind of, we all got taken out of it. Then usually the solution to kind of rebound for the rest of the show is like, call something next that we all know we're going to absolutely nail where we don't have to take a lot of a risk. And then we can work ourselves back up into being ready to take the big risks because the big risks are where the really a lot of the magic of the live performance happens. And that's what I think Fish excels at and why they sell out arenas. Hmm. Well, that's, I mean, y'all talking earlier about like the breadth of your, your catalog. I mean, it's huge. I mean, that's what I, I read somewhere. It's close to 200 songs when you start including covers and everything. Like, how, how do you keep that's up with that in a tour? Like what? I mean, is there a lot of rehearsal that's happening or like, how how do you just recall 200 songs? I mean, even Fish, they're looking at like 120 tops for a tour. How do you keep up with that much? Well, you know what they say about bands with big set lists? It's a real question, if anybody knows. I mean, you, there's not like, like Jake was kind of getting at, there's really a, uh, ones that we've really been doing a lot, usually stuff that's about to come out or has come out recently. Or, or ones that get requested all the time. It also kind of depends a lot on the setting, what we're looking at. But we are, you know, constantly rehearsing and practicing. We try to uh, work on stuff like at sound checks. We use in-ear monitors, which actually cuts down on sound check time. So we have a little bit more time show to show to like practice stuff beforehand. And, you know, we have actually our drummer, Ryan, put together a great uh, analytic sheet from our February tour where we played 20 shows in the month of February. And of like how many times we played each song and in what locations. And like, you know, there were, you know, these were the songs that only got played once in the month. And these were the ones that got played at 10 shows and whatever. So there is, you know, we do air towards stuff that we remember a little better or we're liking playing more in that moment. And songs can kind of come and go a little bit from that vague, untalked about list of what we're playing a lot of at the moment. Uh, but all the time we have stuff where, you know, somebody will message the the band and say, hey, like, I really want to play this in two days. You know, we haven't played this in six months. I want to play it tomorrow or something. And then the expectation is that everybody will, you know, listen to it and maybe pick it out on their instrument or whatever so that they're ready to kind of do it. And then we'll run it once it's check, and then it's good to go. And if it goes really well, that might enter the category of now songs that we're playing every three shows or something. Mm hmm. Jake, I will say I'm I'm looking at the I pulled up the little sheet that that Ryan made for the recent KSUs for Lovers tour, and that had 132 unique songs on the tour, with a grand total of 454 songs being played, and that was in one month. Roughly. How many songs do y'all average a night? So these were all over. So it really depends on. I mean, we like playing long sets or two set shows, but it really, you know, we're at a stage where we're often like sometimes after party, sometimes you're opening for a band, sometimes you're the headliner, sometimes it's a co-bill, 
So set lengths can range from a low end of 45 minutes, which we feel is usually too short to really be getting into it, mm-hmm. right? To as long as two and a half hours. Well, that, for that, I think he's talking about February. number of songs, though. Yeah, for the number of songs. February. Right? Yeah. How, how many oh, songs right. can you play in that tour in February? So those were two set nights, and we've got 22.7 songs. But wow. notably for this tour, this was like a Valentine's Day, like love theme. The KSU's for Lovers tour happened in February. So, like, we were playing a lot of like short love themed covers a lot of the time. Like we did like an acapella version of Earth Angel. That was the first year, not this, not this year though. And then we did like There She Goes was a fun cover. Which which um, is a lot song about heroin, by the way. <laughs> well, hey, you know. You gotta love something. Uh, so we were hitting twenty two point seven on those, but that's that's more than it usually is. Okay. But but to be fair, we're we're not like a four song setless dance. We're not mm-hmm. we're not that. Like we yeah. we will give you like at least eight to ten songs at a minimum in in like an hour and a half set. We because each song is so different. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean that's that's a good another good segue into the next question I had was uh, your studio output. I mean, again, jam bands are not known for studio albums, and, and you guys have a fairly sizable output in your discography of albums that in the ten years you've been together. So where is that? Where is that decision? First, I want to know what is the decision to focus so much on the studio, but also where that prolificacy is coming from. Just, I mean, considering your audience is mostly going to be looking for your live show. So why put your energy into the studio album so much? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because we just spent the entire day yesterday in the recording studio recording two singles that'll be out in the spring there of next go. year. Uh, and I think a lot of it is like, it's nice to kind of put a bow on a song, even if it's the, that song in a moment. So much of our studio stuff with, that we recorded, we, you know, we played for a year or two before we recorded it. We uh, play a year or two later and some of the parts are different. We've changed the sections. We feel differently about it now than we did then, you know? So it's kind of nice to kind of put a bow on it in the moment of time and say, this is the, this is what we're going for here. But also the studio is a really kind of magical place. It helps you come up with ideas. Uh, like during COVID, we spent, during COVID is such a big time. In 2020, the summer of 2020, we spent six days at the studio and the idea was we wouldn't work on anything that we had practiced or written beforehand. Everything would just happen there. And let that be the inspiration for us on the, on the project. So it, there's just something, some kind of magic to it, I think. And, and you know, there's, like studio art is different than live art in a lot of ways, but it's very similar in a lot of ways too. And I don't think they need to be really exclusive. Mm-hmm. I would also say like the studio just allows for things that you can't do live that are like something that I want or somebody wants on the song. You know, you want to hear the sound effect or whatever. I don't, I don't really like feel an aggression between the two in any way. You know, I don't think one limits the other really. I think that's another thing, like when you finally record and release the song, in some ways, it's like permission to move on to the next thing emotionally, you know, or like internally for the band. You're like, you can, all right, that's done. It's mm-hmm. done. Let's, let's, we're not going to do it again. Let's move on to the next thing. Cause you can only have so much focus at a time. And also like there is, I, I guess like there's like a, a modern day music business 
thing is like you kind of have to be releasing music pretty frequently to stay relevant in in the software algorithms and stuff like that and like we are aware of that like and we have a lot of music that we've written and recorded like let's let's release it there's no why hold back like i'm also like i do a lot of like the the editing and music stuff and i mix most of the live shows so i feel like i have a a love for the studio that is very present and you get to like combine that with the live show recordings as well i feel like you're talking about it yeah well you're talking about that i saw where several of your songs you have like three or four songs that have well over a million streams each on spotify and that's i mean like i mean again to use fish as a reference they don't have maybe not any songs over a million streams on spotify if they do it's like farmhouse or something i mean that's gotta i mean that's gotta be playing to the time the present tense of what you're in i mean how much of that is a factor into what you do as far as like planning a tour or planning time in the studio right so like we are like it is really cool that we have that spotify success like honestly we're really proud of it psyched about it it really like it helps morale and it's fun to see the big numbers up there it really is so like why like we got to keep doing it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sorry i got kind of distracted there and forgot the actual question that you were asking um, no I was, I was just talking about like choosing like when you have a song when you have songs like that that have more than a million streams and you know like i was saying mm. that for a jam band you, your primary audience oh, yeah. is going to be the live show but you're having mm. success in the streaming field i mean how does that as a band how do you approach what's next when you have that kind of success right i think we i think we just kind of keep going right you know there's there's like we we have such a backlog of stuff that all of us are writing because like we say, yes, you know, that's a great idea. Your song about an oyster is hilarious. You know, there's there's or your song about this very emotional breakup that you have is really deep and moved me. You know, like there's because of that element of yesness, it's just we have all this stuff going on kind of in our heads all the time and stuff gets written like every time we go on tour for a week or two, it feels like we end with another song that somebody wrote at soundcheck because they got inspired by something or you know, somebody was working on it in the van because it was a long drive and we were bored. So so we just end up with a lot of stuff. So that keeps pushing you forward in the studio. But it also helps keep push forward the live show a little bit because it helps keep it fresh, which gives us more, you know, more platforms on which to expound the jam, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like to to, you know, we have a framework of a fairly simple song about, you know, Sally the Swan, Queen of the Pond. That's one we've been working on recently. And, you know, it's just this kind of really cool, funky, sort of fast jam. And it's just a little bit new to us. So then we can take that to new places. Like it's not inked yet. It's not in the studio. It doesn't go this way. Because once it's out, you do have people who kind of expect to hear it that way. And still a lot of the time we go, screw that. This is how we want to play it. Like our song Aged White Cheddar is... Uh, only rec- is only studio recorded as this kind of like roadhouse kind of sound where we did it all in the room. I played upright bass. It was, it was, you know, just room mics and everything and some instrument mics, all acoustic. And then live, the tempo is way hotter. The jam is way longer. You know, it's this rock and roll kind of song. And we've, you know, been like, oh, we could record it that way, but like we do it live this way. It doesn't need to, doesn't need to be. And then sometimes we'll be like, let's do it the roadhouse way. You should, you know, let's, let's go back for like, we've been playing it 
like this for so long. Let's go back and do it like the album and surprise the fans that have that love the album version, you know? I think specifically for touring though, like it's we aren't afraid to attract different kinds of audiences. Like there can be the guys in the tie-dye on one side of the stage, and there can be the gals in the garden dresses on the other side of the stage, and that's chill. Like, you know, people some people come to see us play cars which is our number yeah. one song. Some people, some people, that is the only song that they know by us. And that's what they came to see. And along the way, they're going to hear something else that they like, hopefully. And there's some people yeah. that come for the Laura, I'm sorry about the cobbler craziness song or for aged white cheddar who like could not care less for cars. And mm-hmm. they go get a beer during cars and that's chill. Um, it doesn't bother me that not like, not everybody has to like every song to have fun at the show. And that's important. As far as like data for like touring though, like it's not, it, it's kind of hard to use it to inform like where we should go. You know, like looking at like who's streaming what, where, like on our level, it's still pretty s- small and vague and, and hard to use, unfortunately. But it, it correlates, um, but the P values are not, they're not, are not high. <laughs> well, but I mean, talking, going back to what you were saying, Jake, when you have that diverse of an audience, does that affect how you cater a set list to an audience? I mean, are you are you thinking through like, OK, we know these people are going to be here. We want to play these songs because they're going to want to hear that. Or is it like, hey, we're the performers. We're not feeling that tonight. We want to do an 80 minute jam. We're going to do that. Like, how do you approach that? I think it's definitely much more of the first one without like mm-hmm. forgetting that we can do whatever we want, you know, like, and that is why pe- people are coming to see us do what we want to do. But at the same time, you know, if we're playing the jam packed after party, we know who's coming to that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we have songs that work for that crowd that that crowd wants to hear. Let's give it to them. You know, let's give them a good time. And if we're going to be playing the sit down listening room in Annapolis, Maryland, we're going to tone it down a little bit and we're going to play it a little more acoustic because it's the environment it's who's there it's it's what we're feeling it's the night of the week all this factors into what we choose and because we're trying to put on a good show like we we are trying to put on a good show that people are going to have fun at that we're going to have fun at if we're having fun they're having fun and vice versa yeah and the vibe the vibe is so informed by all of those things that jake listed there's it's just, you know, we don't really sit down and often and go this. We have to do this today because this it's just there's kind of a feeling around what's going on. And like if if a bunch of people in the crowd in the front are loud enough yelling a song, odds are we're going to play it at some point during the rest of the set because yeah. that gives us confidence. You know, it makes us go, damn, people really want to hear the Marty song. Let's play the darn Marty song, you know, and and uh, even though it wasn't on the list or we weren't planning on playing it earlier. So there's, you have that feeling that's kind of all encompassing. You feel different when you're at a music festival. You feel different, different when you're at an after party that starts late. You feel different when you're at a brewery at 4 p.m. on a beautiful Saturday afternoon or different if it's a very ugly Saturday afternoon, right? And that can really kind of inform how you're feeling. But as long as we're all going out there and going, we're going to have fun, this is going to be great. What that means for the moment can be very different. And one of the nice things about having a lot of, a lot of varied material is that we can always feel comfortable like we can play a set that matches how we feel that day hmm. on that day instead of forcing the hand uh forcing it to be this crazy party when it's too hot for anyone to dance or forcing it to be 
way too internal when everyone just wants to have a great time and, you know, you know, like really dance because we've been cooped up for the last couple of years still. Hmm. Well, I actually really love that answer is the fine, the finale to our conversation. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up right there. That was a beautiful way to finish this, man. So gentlemen, I, I appreciate your time today. What's, what's coming up for Kindle Street? You got a new album coming out in September, correct? You want to tell me about that real quick? Correct. Yes. So we have our new album, Separation 95, coming out September 22nd. And we've got the first two singles for that are out now. That's Eyes of the World, which is a crazy reharmonized version of the Grateful Dead track. And it, what, what was it, Brian? Somebody said it sounds like if, if King Gizzard covered Eyes of the World. That's, yeah. that's what somebody said. Nice. Somebody what on the internet. Said? So some other people said not as kind things. It's a very it's very divisive because it's never a great bench. It's 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 very different. You know, it's mm. like it retains some of the theme musical themes of the original and the lyrics. And aside from that, it's kind of its own thing in a lot of ways. And I think it's awesome. Like I'm on stage, like, and I just love every time we play it. And it's one that we play pretty similarly most of the time because it's a it's more it's more prog rock than it is jam rock. And I'm still just like having so much fun playing it every time, as much as the first time that I learned it. I'm not sick of playing the parts because it's so fun. But but some people like really love the Grateful Dead's Eyes of the World, the slow romantic vibe of it, you know, and I love that too. Change isn't always a bad thing. But if change isn't for you, maybe listen to all of our other songs. Somebody said, somebody said Jerry yeah. died again when it got released. Yeah, so, Jerry died again. Uh, that's amazing <laughs> poor jerry well since you brought it up twice i gotta i gotta ask the so this metal album that you guys are like working on is it more yeah. infest the rat's nest or is it more petro dragon king is like i've heard that's the kind of inspiration behind that decision it's more on the it's more on the petro dragon king is okay. kind of kind of side i know we have two songs that are kind of done one of them's called porridge and the other one's called marijuana time warp and Marijuana Time Warp is very, <laughs> very directly. Marijuana Time Warp is very King Gizzard. I'd say Porridge is a bit Gizzard, also kind of Nine Inch Nails or Tool. Nice. Well, the, the, yeah, so they, Marijuana so Time Warp. <laughs> Marijuana Time Warp was like we should try to write a song like King Gizzard just to like yeah. see what happens, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what came out. <laughs> that's awesome. When uh, what do you do um, that? Mar- okay, but project, back to the Mike album. Yes, yeah, so we. we Oh, I want last that question about project. the metal album. Yeah, last uh, one about the metal project. We'll go back. Um, we're not totally sure. So we have that album coming out in September, and then yeah. a couple singles that we want to release in the late winter, early spring. And then we're we're working on that that a little bit. We're also working on a sequel to the Nautical Aquatical that we're calling the Terrestrial Equestrial, which will be you know land animals instead of sea animals. And then and then we also have a. I guess these aren't announced. Should I be saying this? But it's fine. It's fine. I guess it's fine. Yeah, it's good um, promo. And uh, yeah, I mean, cause the only problem is like things sometimes change and titles get changed and whatever. But uh, these are working titles, I guess. Disclaimer. And then we also have something called the lot or a day in the lot that is completely written, but we're trying to record it. And it's he, it, like basically the plans are up in the air for recording that. So we have like one that's done, two that are in the works. A few other random songs that like aren't on a project at all or aren't tied to a project. And all of these things have stuff that we play live already and probably will end up with things that we will never have played live until the album's out. 
Peace. But yeah. hopefully in about a year, I would say, but it might be two, just depending on what order we do the projects in. I think most of the most of the vibe in the band van, what we've been talking about, is this metal project more recently. So uh, maybe that'll be the next one, which would put it within the next year. Wow. Dude, I'm going I'm to be honest. I think y'all need a vacation. Y'all are going hard. Ah. Well, we have we have three or four four days off starting after when this phone call ends. So that's going to be pretty nice. I'm going to my college fantasy football draft weekend party nice. extravaganza, where I hopefully don't end up with like the worst team for the third year in a row. <laughs> nice. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for talking today. Looking forward to Separation ninety five coming out in September. I hope you enjoy your couple of days off. Good luck to your team. Jake, I hope you enjoy your afternoon, your days off as well. So, gentlemen, y'all take care. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasting, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.